40-pound dumbbells, 25-pound dumbbells, 60-pound dumbbells. Ten pounds. Hey, have dumbbells. you seen I Am Legends? Yeah. Yeah. You remember at the end where uh, the zombies are ramming at Will Smith and the and the, and the glass is cracking? Yeah. Ophelia is doing that to my office door right now. <laughs> Record it. Record it. Record that shit on video, and then we can, and then we can post it, and we can say at the studio, <laughs> at the studio, hiding this from baby zombies. <laughs> so, is she backing up and flexing her chest too, and screaming? <laughs> she's doing. She's, she's like a bull with her foot. She keeps sweeping it across the floor, and she charges. <laughs> Does she still do that one-legged scuttle? Oh, she walks like she has no spine. Like, it is... <laughs> it's really weird. It's really weird, man. Yeah, it's like that. Like, she'll just come around the, the corner in the hallway, and she'll just do this, like, weird toe jam and Earl walk. Watch the two shitty-ass cartoons. <laughs> yeah. Told you. Dude, that was the most boring slash exciting game. This was boring and exciting game at the same time. It's like, what do you mean? We just get in the spaceship and keep going to the next level? Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. This show is intended for information purposes only, but we're not experts. We're just two guys within the Bitcoin community. Bitcoin is an experiment in the separation of money and state. You'll be surprised how many will support that. And adoption is the only thing that matters. to the bitcoin podcast episode number 54 i'm your first host marcello and i'm host number two d and host number three Corey. and we are brought to you by the great people at escrowmybits.com it's fast it's super easy it only takes three steps let me tell you about those steps step one register step two deposit your bitcoin Step three, the seller ships their item, and then they release the funds, and they also offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate. So no matter where you are in the world, euros, yen, USD, even that useless Canadian money, they got you covered. So they've thought of everything. Your funds are kept in a secure two of a three multi-signature transaction where they hold only one key, and the rest are yours. Escrow My Bits was created to solve all the problems wrong with the type of escrow services currently around, and their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible. So go to their website, sign up for their newsletter, and once again, that's escrowmybits.com. Dimitri, you can hit him with that jingle. Need to escrow some shit? Use escrow my bits, and you won't throw a fit, because you use escrowmybits.com. Not in any way affiliated with Expedia.com. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, so th- this week is a little different. Um, we caught up with the uh, independent journalist and podcast host, uh, David Seaman, to talk about, uh, what are we talking about? Uh, block size debates, uh, altcoins. We touched uh, on a lot of subjects from that interview. It was a fun interview. He made yeah. some predictions about markets. We found out he wasn't a gold bug and then a Bitcoin bug. He was a Bitcoin bug and then a gold bug. Um, 
we found out. Um, Don't give it all away. Don't give oh, it all away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you have listened to the interview via via YouTube when he like streamed it live, um, then you would know this interview already. But it doesn't hurt to listen again. You know what I mean? So uh, go ahead, Cello. Keep going with the intro because we kind of interrupted you. No, no, no. Well, so we're just going to change the format a little bit. We're going to get into the interview, and then we're going to come back, and uh, we'll we'll talk about some current events that you uh, all know and love. So. All right. Here... You're not going to... You're not going to interrupt me or anything? Oh, there it is. There it is. Uh, I guess the first thing that I wanted to ask was, uh, you've, you've been a gold bug for a while, but would you like to elaborate on how your story crosses with Bitcoin's story and how you immediately knew that, that Bitcoin was worth pouring your efforts and your energy and your focus into? Sure, good question. So uh, my background is as an independent journalist and researcher, and uh, before this I was focused a lot on surveillance stories, like the, the NSA stuff, some of that I broke a year before Edward Snowden even came out, and that's because I was basing what I was saying on William Binney, another NSA whistleblower who had spoken to reporters and researchers at the New York Times uh, so I was basing my sort of public stance on this stuff, on what he was saying, and, and all my research about him, uh, and just popularized a lot of the ideas, you know, the fact that we were being spied on in the United States and elsewhere in ways that are potentially not constitutional. So that was one, one story, and then I was on the drone story for a little bit, and then when the NYU-Stanford uh, study broke, people realized that I wasn't insane. Uh, There's actually something here to this, to this whole topic. Uh, and then I came across cryptocurrency uh, in 2012 when the market cap of Bitcoin was, I think, like $1.8 billion or $2 billion and started playing with the wallets and talking to the people who were excited about Bitcoin at that time. And I realized that this had to be my next big story, both to popularize as much as possible in the eyes of you know the, the world at large because I get booked on some interesting shows. And now, since the YouTube thing is becoming more of a real media platform, by doing stuff here. So the past couple of years for me, really since 2012 onward, have been uh, focused on civil rights, but also primarily focused on getting the word out on Bitcoin and uh, on you know the freedom in, in money movement in general, just having monetary choice. I'm not saying that anything should be shut down, that we should put the Federal Reserve people in prison. I'm not going in that direction uh, or some negative kind of Occupy direction. I'm just saying in the modern age, we should have monetary choice. And so I think Bitcoin is the first real choice we've had that hasn't been a scam. You know, as much as the media tries to portray it in these seedy ways, it's a very fair system. Everybody who has Bitcoin mined it. Uh, you know, everybody traded their work or their labor or their computer's energy time to earn some Bitcoin. And, you know, it used to be easier to mine them. But then again, the risk of doing so was exponentially higher because people didn't know if they were mining something useless. So long story short, this is my story until it either uh, is outlawed worldwide or becomes a major electronic currency. And I think the second one is far more likely. Nice, nice. And so speaking of money currencies, you, you recently went to the Money 2020 conference out in Europe land, out in Denmark. And so from what you could take away from that, as far as Bitcoin is concerned, what do you think is the ultimate con and the ultimate pro for Bitcoin, you know, stepping out of that conference and reflecting on it. 
Sure. Well, from some of the more traditional bank people and finance people I talked with at Money 2020, which was in uh, it was held in Copenhagen, Denmark, and then they're doing one in the U.S. in October that'll be in Vegas, and that one will be even more insane. Uh, but this one was more industry people. Uh, it wasn't so much targeted at the public. It was just targeted to financial media and investors and the different companies themselves to see what everybody's been working on, basically. It's this big trade show for fintech. And uh, uh, for one thing, the Bitcoin companies that were present, I've, I've been told this by the finance people there, were much more humble than in previous years. So, you know, some of the big companies that we all know of, they had booths, but they weren't particularly big booths. They were kind of like corner, you know, uh, almost like a, a college um, science presentation booths. You know, just not very big <laughs> uh, compared to some of the, tr the uh, traditional companies like J.P. Morgan and HSBC, who obviously had, you know, massive palaces compared to that. Uh, but that was the first thing they noticed and told me is that the Bitcoiners have become more humble. And the second thing is that several companies there that are not – specifically Bitcoin processors, actually have the Bitcoin logo on some of their signage, which I found interesting because you're seeing at the edges, some of these fintech companies are finding Bitcoin to be useful as a means of transferring value and storing value and all that kind of, uh, you know, dreamland Bitcoin stuff that got us into it, uh, in my case, back in 2012, but for other people even, even earlier, uh, that's starting to happen. And it's starting to happen from companies that you would think would not be into Bitcoin. Uh, so those were some interesting takeaways there. And then uh, just how much, uh, I don't mind saying this because I don't have to worry about my like press pass being revoked or something, but uh, <laughs> just how, how much of the stuff there was total crap? Like just me too thinking like, oh, we have a point of sale terminal that takes Visa and MasterCard. And you're just like, okay, like why, are, how are you even able to afford a booth? Like aren't the margins so small and just being another servant for Visa and MasterCard? Like uh, that didn't make sense. So a lot of copycat thinking at these things. But, uh, of course, a couple companies stood out and a couple of different platforms seemed exciting. Uh, so there was a lot of buzz around those. And uh, it was interesting. It was cool to see what the actual fintech world, as opposed to Bitcoiners, uh, thinks about all this stuff. So, Do you remember what one of those companies were, like off the top of your head, when that was like a massive standout? Uh, well, obviously, uh, Bitgold was one that I spent a lot of time at. Uh, and that was a stand-up because the booth, in terms of size, rivaled J.P. Morgan's booth almost. Huh. And it was literally uh, in a position where it, its shadow is cast on Western Union's booth. So it was like almost prophetic, right? Because that was a company founded by two guys who were very successful in traditional finance who were intrigued with Bitcoin early on, but saw that, you know, for Bitcoin to go mainstream and to do you know, the things that your mom wants Bitcoin to do or your grandma wants Bitcoin to do, it's not going to be in the form of, like, some ruthless wallet and, you know, total decentralization. It's going to be in the form of something different. Uh, and so they created this platform that uses gold as the uh, settlement layer instead of using different fiat currencies. So, you know, if I get a newsletter subscription using PayPal and somebody subscribes to my newsletter and they live in Europe, I get paid in euro and then PayPal converts it through an extremely complicated and expensive process in the USD, and then a couple days later, if I'm lucky, the money's in my bank account after they've taken, you know, their exorbitant 2.9% uh, cut. Uh, so, you know, that's what exists right now, and what they did is basically uh, they have physical gold vaulted at different locations all over the world and audited 
and they're publicly traded, so there are all kinds of documents they have to submit every quarter. Uh, and they figured out a way to basically have an internal blockchain where the, there's a movement of gold. And it's not yeah. actually a blockchain. You know, you can't actually like look up addresses. There's not that level of transparency for obvious reasons. People don't like the world knowing how much gold they own. But that, to me, was genuinely innovative, regardless of whether or not it succeeds. That, to me, is, you know, when I first heard about Bitgold, I almost thought it was a scam because I was thinking, for a company to pull this off, they would need a lot of legal resources. They would need some political clout. They would need really intelligent people, and they would need good luck, you know. And, like, now that I've looked into the company more, like, at least all three of those things are there. They have a huge kind of legal and regulatory understanding and plenty of money to throw into that. I think something like $65 million or $70 million uh, cash on hand, which hmm. I, can't, I can't think of a Bitcoin company that has that. And to, uh, to close this point out, they accept Bitcoin. That's the big thing that's exciting to me about Bitgold, aside from the idea of getting rid of a PayPal, uh, is that this company actually accepts Bitcoin and then has money or has your gold uh, in a vault the same day. So it, it's reinforcing the idea that Bitcoin is money. And I think we need more services like that, whether it be to buy oil or to buy real estate, you know, maybe buy your first home using Bitcoin buy your first car. We need to really start linking Bitcoin with the real world as much as possible if we want this thing to uh, not only thrive, but to become something that's useful to the, the middle class person who hasn't necessarily found a reason to get into Bitcoin yet. Absolutely. I mean, Bitcoin is money. And the thing for uh, the thing is for in, in order for an entity to be used as money, as currency, it has to have some faith. There has to be some faith in its system. There has to be some confidence in when it exchanges hands. And in your recent video, you said something that I liked personally. You said, uh, and I quote this, I wish the devs would just maintain the code and just stop talking. <laughs> and I like this because I'm a huge fan of people staying in their lane and sailing with their strong winds. And so do you feel that strongly that the devs are the entities that are driving uh, the driving force for this shaky faith in Bitcoin? Well, let's just put it this way, and I, I don't really traffic in conspiracy theories. I don't believe this personally. Uh, you know, it was said to me half-jokingly by a Bitcoin executive at one of the companies we all know about, and uh, this executive was wondering if uh, one of the Bitcoin devs is not CIA compromised, is not in some way being blackmailed to uh, slow down the growth of Bitcoin acceptance. And... Uh, you know, again, he or she was half joking about that, but th this is a real concern that these people are so disruptive. You know, Peter Todd, one of the Bitcoin developers, publicly posted that he had sold off half his Bitcoins uh, about a year ago. Really not a way to instill public confidence in the next monetary unit, the next global unit of measure that we'll use in Internet transactions. Not the best way to do that if the person maintaining the code base is telling you they just dumped half of their own a holdings, which also decreases his financial interest and the thing running well, right? So mm -hmm. uh, that was not smart. And I've, wa I've watched and seen a number of interviews where uh, Gavin, who is the one that my friend had jokingly suggested was compromised by the CIA, uh, Gavin just, I think, is a really smart engineer and is obviously a brilliant guy because he got into Bitcoin himself so early and understood these concepts so early on that that's really impressive. But from a PR perspective, he should be managed by a whole fucking PR team. He should say nothing uh, until it's been approved by people who know more about PR than he does. Because uh, I think it was an interview in the Financial Times 
I saw some time ago, and I was like, oh, wow, they interviewed Gavin. This is going to be awesome. And as I'm reading through the article, I'm like, oh, no, no. Like, by the end, I was just like, man, I wish this had not been published. And so if, if they could just focus on, like you said, like focus on their lane, their skill set, that would be good for the whole community. And if they want to go off in an advocacy direction and become media personalities or write, you know, technical books about Bitcoin like Andreas does, uh, that's awesome, but then they have to detach from being core devs because otherwise it just scares people, I think. I don't think that that uh, instills confidence. And we have to remember that Bitcoin is just new fiat. It's still, based, it's still based on faith, right? It's not like you can take a Bitcoin out of the system and just eat it when you get hungry or turn it into some you know, piece of jewelry like you can with gold. It's still based on the faith and confidence that there's someone else around the world who will buy your Bitcoin and throw you some local currency for it or throw you whatever good or service you want. And uh, so we need to focus on maintaining the psychology behind Bitcoin uh, and let people know this is a stable thing. It hasn't been destroyed in seven years. And at this point, it's probably not going to be. So it's here to stay. And that should be the message is that it's here to stay, not that, you know, the temperamental attitudes or the infighting between developers might lead to somebody's investment being destroyed. So, Hey, everybody. This is host number two, D. You're listening to this part of me talking instead of the rest of the episode because we're going to provide the rest of the episode to you on YouTube and David Siemens YouTube. Um, this isn't something we're going to do regularly, just something we're trying out. So if you want to hear the rest of the interview and the rest of the episode, then you can go to, oh, not just the interview. The rest of the episode is going to play, but we're cutting the interview in half. And uh, you can catch it on our YouTube page if you want to. We're trying to promote the YouTube page because really there's like one video on it from last July. And that's it. And there may be a video of me playing Mario Kart. I think that's it. So anyways, here's the second half of the show. And uh, we're back. That was the interview with Mr. David Seaman. Um, super cool dude. Uh, I thought so. I thought it was a great conversation. Flowed really well. Um, hope you enjoyed some of the things. Maybe some of his predictions come true. Maybe some of them don't. I do know a good majority of them do sometimes. A majority of them do sometimes. He's got sometimes. a pretty good track record. He's got a pretty good track record. Um, you know, so there were some, there's some hateful comments though. Some people are just, they, it's, you, you cross some people in the slightest way. Like you look at them funny or say a word that they don't know or some shit. And they're like, I'm out. I don't like you anymore. You're no longer my friend. I can't listen to you. You've lost all credibility. Yep. And I call like, those people hypersensitive to butt hurtness. Short term bitches. Yeah. Bitch made. Hashtag Thamos is bitch made. Shout out. But, um, yeah, I guess we can ask. Hey, if you're listening to this and you like the idea of having a t-shirt that said hashtag Thamos is bitch made, then maybe tweet hashtag Thamos is bitch made, hashtag just two guys to us. We're trying to see how many picture of the photo to see whether or not you like it. You just respond to that too. Yeah. I'll pin it to my Facebook. Uh, Not my Facebook. I'll pin it to my Twitter. I'm mixing up social medias here. Can't pin shit to Facebook. Can't do that. I'll pin the tweet to my Twitter so you can see the shirt if you like it. Then let us know. 
Anyways. Yeah. So, enough of that interview. Let's talk about some th- stuff in the Bitcoin. Something Jello, I Jello want to say something. Yeah, uh, Shapeshift is uh, back and running today. So, congratulations to Voorhees. But um, for anyone wondering about the hacker, he got away with uh, 315 Bitcoin from a hot wallet account. Muslim. So, V for Vendetta. Uh, it's about 130 grand. But yeah, that's it. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't mind getting away with that. Uh, the other, and that's, I mean, it, yeah, I yeah. think that it's, it's still that type of stuff is going to happen for a little bit until maybe like a year, but two years from now, some shit like that happens. You're not going to get it back. Let's look Cash. at the evolution of the system, though. Starts out Mount Gox going down millions, millions of dollars, not that much, but millions of dollars. Then Bitstamp goes down. They get a little hacky hack. It's millions, but it's not as much as Mt. Gox. Then Cripsy goes down. I don't even think it was a million. And look at the exponential decrease. Shapeshift, the exchange goes down and 130,000. So we're getting smarter. The exchanges are getting better. Yeah. Exchanges are The vulnerabilities better. are much smaller. And I mean, the fact that it was an inside job. Is essentially how it was done. That's the only way it could have been done, was because a guy who worked for them stole all the money and left. Yep. I know one thing. We've been we've been trading. I've been upping my uh, frequency with my trades. I want to say something to you, Polinex. I think that's how you say it. First, that shout out. You have a great service. Secondly, if you fuck me, I'm gonna silence of the lambs your ass. I will find you. I'll put you in a <laughs> hole, okay? And I'll throw lotion at your face until I get my damn Bitcoin back. Because when you're doing the frequency trades, it's really hard to keep it off the exchange all the time. Now, I know put the fucking lotion in the basket. Well, let's talk about this from a psychological level. Is was this guy uh, a cyber criminal before he got hired, or you think he got disgruntled? I mm. sounded based based on so. This is what's also kind of outstanding and amazing about this whole episode, although it's terrible it happened. Shapeshift has been incredibly transparent about how it happened, why it happened, and what people can do to make sure it doesn't happen in the future. And, like, the dude, I guess it is biased, but the dude kind of seemed like a douchebag from the get-go. And mm. I think that's, that's the way he's being portrayed, The you know, the alias Bob. Uh, is what they call him in all of the, the posts that they made about him. And it's he's he didn't contribute much and happened to be the, you know, person who was supposed to take care of the security of the exchange. And then he ended up taking all the money. And when things got, went wrong, he wasn't surprised or upset that his security protocols were being hacked. So it's, it's kind of like, I mean, if your security guy's not upset when shit's going down, you should probably worry about your security guy. So he's basically Newman from Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good, good analogy. You should probably tweet that out. Uh, uh, uh. I think I found Bob. Or uh, wasn't he kind of? Is he kind of like Ryan X. Charles during his Reddit days, where like he worked there, but he wasn't really working on anything. So he, instead of focusing on his own projects, he was focusing on hacking the company. Was Ryan X. Charles focusing on hacking Reddit? Yeah, or he was working. He was at Reddit 
when he was doing that when he was working on his own projects, right? Yeah, but he wasn't he wasn't like just apathetic and lethargic and not I mean he was also he wasn't in charge of fucking security. They canceled his project. He's like, so what do I work on? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to Ryan X. He's on the Slack. So it wasn't a matter of like him not doing a good job. It was a matter of the company not being aligned with what he wanted to do and what they hired him for in the first place. Mm-hmm. This dude was hired to do security and when security breaches happened, he was like, huh, that's weird. He was hired for security and he ended up stealing dinosaur embryos. Who? Newman. Was that another? Newman. Was that a fail? For anybody, yeah, it was a pretty big fail. Okay. Anybody who doesn't know who Newman is, he's a Seinfeld reference. It's the fat dude, fat mailman from Seinfeld, which I don't know his real name. I don't know his real name either. That's why I use the reference Inception. I used the reference with inner reference. Uh, then the little dinosaur that spit oil on his face. Yeah. Yep. yep. That dinosaur is fake as hell. By uh, the way. That dinosaur not, did not exist. Yes, it did. No, it didn't. You don't know. Yeah, that was real. No, it wasn't. That dinosaur did not exist. And the Velociraptor, Velociraptors are not that big. Velociraptors are little tiny bitches. They're like no bigger than a poodle. I don't think you know what you're talking about. I know exactly what I'm talking about. Because I once did, I did not do, but I once witnessed a very in-depth individual research project in the seventh grade. And one kid did a very in-depth research project, and I paid attention because he actually brought dinosaurs in, and he told me all about the real facts. And velociraptors velociraptors aren't big and don't speak English like they did in the third Jurassic Park movie. (laughs) Yeah. They don't don't have an abacus and and do calculus. Dimitrik with the win. So the, the, the Lapasaurus, there's no evidence to support either, uh, uh, spitting. Boom. Now look at Velociraptor, Wikipedia, that shit. How big was it? Mad, mad, mad knowledge on dinosaurs. I actually, my brother was fascinated. No, here's it. So Michael Crichton said that in the book with Steven Spielberg was like, well, fuck your book. I'm adding that in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) We need oil spit in this movie. To sell tickets. Okay. And Dimitri was right again. Also, that spitting dinosaur uh, is the same size as a Velociraptor, but Steven Spielberg was like, fuck that. I'm going to reduce the size of it so you don't get confused with the Velociraptor in case you're an idiot. Boom. So Velociraptor's big. No, Velociraptors aren't big. Velociraptors are tiny. But that little tiny dinosaur is, is the, the same size, size of Velociraptor. Right? Of, a, of a real but he Velociraptor. Made it super tiny. But he made Velociraptors the size of Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> anyway, Steve we're way off <laughs> Now you guys know Jurassic Park is full of shit. Yeah. Okay. And that's this week's episode. See that's you. it. Uh, Segwit got pulled off of GitHub or some shit. Go look it up. Okay, Let's- so for, the, for those of you, including D, who don't understand how GitHub works... Uh, the, the core software, the Bitcoin core software, like the main software that everyone uses to mine, uh, received a pull request, which is a commit from a developer to say that SegWit is completely finished and ready to be, well, the code for implementing SegWit, SegWit or segregated witness, or as other people like to call it, separated, 
uh, addresses or separated tri- shit. Separated, separated witness. Uh, I forgot the word. My, segregated my witness. Anyway, segregated witness. Is segregated. Um, committed to the main core software, and the pull request is being tested, and it will be implemented within soon. So, what's really nice is that a lot of the time frame in which they said they would commit the software was met. Um, they said they'd have soft. They would. They would have the working or. The software would be written by April, in which it has been, but now they need to go through the series and gamut of tests that need to make sure that it works and do it on the test net before it's actually deployed in software. So it'll be interesting to see. It's a huge improvement, and it'll allow for a lot of um, greater improvements along Bitcoin. Not so much like it's it's a precursor to massive scaling. It'll add a little bit of scaling, but the main idea was to fix transaction malleability, which was the scapegoat that Mark Capellas uh, talked about when he said all the coins were gone. That's kind of what he said why all that shit happened, which is a bunch of bullshit. But that can't happen anymore. So a massive security fix, and it happened through a soft fork, which is rather nice too. Cool. Oh. So massive developments in Bitcoin. Bitcoin's moving. And the fact that... Um, the guy who did it so quickly is a testament to how well this particular developer uh, works. And this guy's got commits on commits on commits. He, he's, a, he's a machine. Exactly. So SegWits is going to be out there, guys. And it's going to change the world as we know it. Um, it's going to allow for people to teleport like Star Trek, just like that. So... How do you tell which blocks are mined with SegWit? Uh, Nothing's been mined with SegWit Nothing's yet, been mined. There's a um, yeah. coin.dance, I believe, does it? Do your D-A-N-C-E. Do your D-A-N-C-E. Coin.dance shows what software is run. I believe that's what it is. Blocks, yeah. You can look at blocks. Coin.dance will show you what blocks are being run. Go. Oh, there graphs, it is. Graphs, graphs, graphs. Vanity addresses, volume, statistics, political support, blocks. What is this? How'd you find this? The internet. That makes sense. That makes total and utter sense. So, wait, wait, just, what, 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 what do you bring up? Uh, coin dance. What you, oh, coin.dance uh, slash blocks. I'm in front of it right now. Coin.dance slash blocks. On grass, decent visualization. Whoa. Oh, Bitcoin Improvement Protocol 9, Proposal 9, Proposal 100, yeah. Total Miner Support by Proposal. This is neat. Man, all data on data. Corey, I bet Bitcoin is pretty much like your heaven. Just yeah, me wanting to move into the data science industry is, is, is only a precursor to me wanting to move into data science applied to blockchain. It's so Bitcoin pretty. Whatever. Oh, I got some stats for you. Go to go to the guest acquisition Slack and click that link because uh, Bitcoin is now twice as popular as Dubstep. That's and I right. I have to prove it. More than twice as popular. <laughs> we have data More. to prove it. Yeah, it's. Did you make? 
Did you make this Google Trends yourself? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. <laughs> oh, I was wondering, just wondering if you're sitting around and <laughs> comparing Bitcoin to random things and you're like, ha ha, better than dubstep, motherfuckers. I actually <laughs> have done that. Bitcoin is far, far, far less popular than any Kardashian. That is true. Take that, Slovenia. <laughs> Hold up. Dubstep is currently the most popular in Ghana. I'd love to go to a rave in Ghana. All right. Uh, we can wrap this up before this gets off the rails too much. Yeah. Let's. Anyways, so dubstep is less popular than Bitcoin now, which makes Bitcoin the most least popular thing. That doesn't make any sense. What do you mean doesn't make any sense? Dubstep. Everybody knows what dubstep is. <laughs> Dude, you don't know dubstep. They don't like it, but everybody knows what it is. It's 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 got the wub wub. It's essentially like how you can determine what's dubstep. And this was explained to me at early at the early ages. I go, how do you know it's dubstep? And that's something else goes, Oh, it's because it has the wub wub. Wub 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 wub. Now you know it's dubstep. And I'm sure there's a lot of Detroit people or like the like the electronic people that really hate what I just said and I don't really care. It's you know, on Audacity, there's an uh, audio effect you can do if you highlight a bunch of audio. There's the wub wub effect and it does that. It's literally called the wub wub effect. Maybe that's, maybe that's you never played around on Audacity. Um, but anyways, Wrap it up. Um, I was going to say something. Yeah. I can't remember what it is now. Wub wub wub. Oh yeah. Dubstep sounds like the music that Transformers bang to. So like whenever a dude transformer wants to get down with the chick transformer, they're putting on dubstep instead of like uh, Marvin Gaye. All right. So. We'll on that one. Oh. Anyways, oh. Oh. what's up? Uh, guess what? Uh, next week we are gonna bring you the founder of Ethereum uh-huh. and uh, the founder of the consensus systems. Yeah, one of the six. Uh, consensus develops uh, decentralized apps and utilities for next-gen decentralized web. Uh, so we're going to have Joseph Lubin on, and that'll close out April. Yep. Overhaul the internet. Great so, dude. He's got a, lot of, got a lot of interesting things to do, and he's making a lot of waves in the Ethereum space and, and, and cryptocurrencies in general. So we were ha- we were really happy to have him on. Yep. All right. Let's wrap this up like the... Like uh, fucking something that gets wrapped really Christmas. tight. Wrap it up like a Christmas present. Um, so the at the BTC podcast on Twitter, Cello runs the Twitter. Um, we have been getting a lot of traction on Twitter, and we'd like more. Uh, we're real personable people. If you talk to us, we'll talk back to you. If you don't like something we said, we'll most likely say fuck you first. But then we're going to engage you, and we're going to treat, treat you kind of seriously, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, if you left a comment on our last episode, we went in on you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Captain Three Minute Man, why don't you go listen to someone else's podcast? Or keep <laughs> listening to ours. You could keep listening to ours if you want to. Um, Shout out to Captain Floating Point Math, who apparently knows all... Freaking powers of ten, right off the top of his head. So eh, I should know that, but whatever. Yeah, you should. Matter. You're letting the community down. Who doesn't know powers of ten? Quick, Corey. What metric, uh, mnemonic 
I don't think that's what I'm going for. What what Go metric is ten to the second power? Go. What metric? Is yeah. 10 what to metric? The uh, like prefix. What metric prefix is ten to the second power? Go. No, ten to the minus seconds, Deca. I didn't say 10 to the minus second. You can't just say the one that you know. I go minus. I go minus everything. <laughs> Anyways. Um, Math is fun. TheBitcoinPodcast.com is a website. Math is fun, man. TheBitcoinPodcast.com is a website. Um, there's a ton of shit on there. So just go there and look at it all. There's a lot. I think it's, I think it's hundo. I think 10 to the second is hundo. Yeah, man. 10 to the second hundo is Peters? 100. But what? Right. Hundo meters. Okay, you're you're disappointing right. your entire scientific community right now. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> your last boss at Texas Tech, Texas Tech, probably just like shook his head if he's listening. He's like, "Damn, um, yeah. I gave this guy a PhD. Get out of here." Um. Anyways, what else do we do? Um. We do Slack, but that's only if you're super special. So I don't even know why I said that. Um, think that's it, man. Facebook, yeah, like us on Facebook. Uh, we post stuff on there. Sometimes it's articles about Bitcoin. Other times it's inspirational messages, like Henry Ford, uh, when he said, "If I had asked the people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses." That's where we're in, guys. We're Bitcoiners. We gotta- you, you miss you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yep. Thank you, Jordan. Michael Jordan said that. Uh, no, Wayne Gretzky said that. Both of you guys are idiots. Really? <laughs> Interesting. I'm sure Michael Jordan said it too, because I had it on a poster. Yep. Always roll that up shit. Listen to this I'm quote. I think Bruce Lee said this one. Always roll up the cereal bag or the cereal gets stale and you don't want it anymore. No, Bruce, that was that Abraham Bruce Lincoln. Lee. That was Bruce Lee. That was, that was Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln. Was that Abe Lincoln? That could have been Abe Lincoln. Yeah, it's in one of his uh, unpublished uh, letters to the world. I read that. There was, a, there was another hey, letter. I, can ahead. we create a podcast where we talk about Jurassic Park and correcting quotes? That'd be really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, All right, let's go. We got to go. Leave you with one. Turn them off. Pass the duchy upon the left-hand side, said by George Washington himself. Uh, play the outro. Pretty sure that was Harriet Tubman. You're right. <laughs>